Well, today we again return to Luke chapter 6. And these verses that we've been studying over the past several weeks, they have similar types of wording in some of the other Gospels. And people will often ask why these accounts in one of these Gospels might differ from the accounts in the other Gospel. And I tell them that for me, as I read these scriptures, and especially the words of the Lord Jesus that are recorded here in these four Gospels, I assume that he, the Lord Jesus, and his disciples as they traveled around the countryside, that Jesus gave many, many different sermons. Some short ones, some long ones. Each tailored to fit not only his listeners right at that moment in time, but also tailored to all of the other people, like you and me, who would read and study these words later on, even today. And also, as the Apostle John told us, not all of the things that the Lord Jesus said and did are recorded within the words of these scriptures. John said in the book of John chapter 21, he said there, Now there are also many other things that Jesus did, and were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So for that reason, as I read similar words that are given in other of these Gospels, I don't question if there's some slightly different wording involved. Jesus told many of these same truths over and over again, just in different ways to different people in different circumstances. And also, we need to keep in mind that each of us hears and receives words spoken to us in different ways. There's a popular expression in today's language saying that we each look at a matter through different lenses. We look at matters through different lenses. And that's so very true. Even within the group of you who are gathered here in this church today, the things that I say from this pulpit will be received slightly differently by each of you. And perhaps that's one reason why Jesus began the words of our passage today in verse 7. He tells us, I say to you who hear. I have no doubt that all of the people who were gathered with Jesus that day could hear his voice. But in these words, Jesus is saying something else. He's implying that some would simply hear his words, but others would hear and then they would also fully comprehend the real intended meanings of the things that he had to say. And so I would encourage each of us in this same way to hear, to truly hear these words of the Lord Jesus. So then, as we examine the words of this passage here in Luke chapter 6 that I'll read for us in a moment, and we recognize that these words are very similar in some ways to those that might have been given in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, we also have to recognize that some of Jesus' words, while they are given differently, it's because these words were tailored to specific minds and hearts that he wanted to receive these words in this manner. The important point to remember is that these are all the same infallible truths that are spoken over and over again. They're just given in different ways. 
just given in different ways. Now here today in Luke chapter 6 and beginning in verse 27. This is just after Jesus had spoken about those things that the Bible scholars refer to as beatitudes. Beatitudes and also woes. He continues here in verse 27 to say, I say to you who hear, love your enemies. By the way, these are very hard sayings. They may not sound hard, but they are very, very hard to receive and then to live out. He says, I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask for them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners... Love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners, unbelievers, do the same. And if you lend to those whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For He is kind to the unthankful and to the evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. And judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Precious words, but very difficult words. These words, folks, of the Lord Jesus draw a very different, very strong contrast to the usual manner of thought and temperament that pours forth out of our souls every day. The foundational beliefs and character traits from which our behavior flows, has been formed and ingrained within us for a long time. Perhaps passed along to us from our parents or our grandparents, certainly in our DNA. Sometimes we acquire these responses through painful experiences. And they're all that we know. And because they're all that we know, we seldom question their validity. And then to add to that, if we look around us at other people, and we see them behaving much in the same way that we are, then that further confirms that our ways are probably valid and okay. But looking at these words, looking at these words of Jesus, and then also closely examining the usual outcome of our normal behavior, we have to admit that there's something terribly wrong in the way that daily life sometimes turns out for us. A friend of mine likes to quote... Albert Einstein is having said the definition of insanity is doing the exact same thing over and over again in exactly the same way, but expecting a different result. Folks, husbands and wives continually argue and fuss at each other, 
demanding that the other one be kind, but only bringing about more and more arguing and fussing. And we ourselves in, get involved in all sorts of business practices that hurt other people without regard for godly ethics. And in all these things, we return evil for evil, but we expect it to bring about good. How foolish that is. We return evil for evil and expect it to bring about good. Whether we're arguing with our loved ones, our husband, our wife, or whether we're doing something in business as we return evil for evil. We want to believe that it'll bring about good, but it doesn't. Again, the contrast being drawn here in Jesus' words is so radically different from that which we do each day that it really demands that you and I go back and re-examine the very foundations of our belief. And when we do, I'm sure that we'll find that we have built everything that we are and everything that we believe on a lie. On a lie. That special lie that Satan brought to naive and deceived Eve there in the Garden of Eden. Folks, there Satan convinced Eve that she could figure out all the circumstances and the matters of daily life for herself. That she didn't need the wisdom of God for such things. That she could determine which matters were right and which ones were wrong. All by herself. And then using her wisdom, she could make good decisions for her life. But unfortunately, as has been proven out over all the generations since, Eve's wisdom and her decisions just cannot provide the same good results that God's wisdom provides. Instead, instead, just the opposite seems always to take place. The precious truth that God first established for the good of mankind, folks, it has been irreparably distorted and perverted, and it remains so to this day. That which is right, that which is right seems wrong to us, and that which is wrong seems right. Look at all of those signs that you see on the television as those people protest in the streets, demanding their right to kill their children. That which is right seems wrong to us, and that which is wrong seems right. If someone strikes you on the cheek, as Jesus mentions here, we think we should hit him back. If someone steals something from you, you should take it back from him. You should take it back from that thief. Or as we would do often in today's culture, we'll either call the police or we'll actually call our favorite trial lawyer and we'll sue that person. And not only for what he took, but also we want to take back even more. We are so driven by our emotions that we instinctively return evil for evil. And it all turned on that one decision, that one decision that was made back there in the Garden of Eden, a decision that ruled out the perspective that God was the sovereign orchestrator of all the matters of life and put in its place the perspective that we ourselves can and we must take charge of all those matters of life on our own. One of the favorite words that you hear mentioned in our culture today is empowerment. Empowerment. Take charge of your own life. Jesus is saying to us here that all that's very wrong. All of that is very wrong. 
and that we can and must turn it all back around and put it back into the way that God originally designed it to be. And we're to do that, he tells us, by simply making right decisions. Right decisions. But as we think about that, we need to pause and realize that there's a foundational truth about decision-making. And that foundational truth is that not just any person can choose to make a right decision. Think about that for a moment. Not just any person can choose to make a right decision. In the book of Romans, we're told that as long as a person remains unrepentant and unsaved, their minds and hearts and souls and spirits are controlled by the sinful nature that lives within them. And because of that, they are completely incapable of making a truly right decision. Listen to these words. Verse 7 of Romans chapter 8. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Simple words. The sinful mind, the unbelieving mind, is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's laws, His instructions, nor can it do so. It has no ability to do so. And here in this passage, over and over again, Jesus tells us how unbelieving sinners respond to their circumstances, continually practicing sinful behavior, returning evil for evil, but expecting good results. Folks, the sinful mind is so depraved that it really does not have the ability on its own to submit to the truths of God and to make good decisions. So often we wrestled with that in the ministry at French camp as we would deal with unbelieving students who would come to us. We would want them to behave rightly and we would tell them, make right decisions. But folks, they weren't able on the authority of these words of Scripture. They weren't able to make good decisions. Before a sinful mind can do anything that is at all righteous, it must first surrender its control back under God's control. It's only by surrender, folks, that the depraved heart, mind, and soul is brought back to the point where good decisions can begin to be made. In other words, a surrendered heart A surrendered heart is able to go back and undo that which Eve did back there in the garden. Back there where she said, I want to make decisions for myself. I want to look out for, in today's language, I want to look out for old number one. I want to make decisions for myself. We can now go back if we repent of that manner of thinking. We can now go back and say to God, I can't make good decisions for myself. I want you, Lord, to be my decision maker, my sole decision maker. But folks, even that requires a warning. Even that is an impossible thing for you and me to do on our own unless he equips us to do it. Listen to these words again, verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Folks, that is impossible for us on our own. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. For him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and from him who takes away your goods, 
do not ask for them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. Now again, even with a surrendered heart, these attitudes, these responses, these temperaments are just beyond anything that we can do through our own efforts. Consider for a moment, if you were the father or the mother of the ones that O.J. Simpson mercilessly slaughtered, I recall watching that unfold on the television set all those days of trial, watching those families sit there and listen to the clever words of their lawyers. Could you love O.J. Simpson if you were the mother or the father of those that he slaughtered? Could you love him? Could you dare pray for him? Our emotions are so strong. Folks, in truth, and I'm speaking for myself, we would probably lie and wait for him and strike back at him as viciously as he struck out at our children. Again, even with a surrendered heart, these responses that Jesus demands are just seemingly impossible. And especially they are for us to carry out these commands on our own. So what are we supposed to do then? What are we supposed to do? This is another one of those unfathomable mysteries of God that he gives us in these scriptures. Mysteries that can't be comprehended by the simple mind of a man or a woman. But yet he still tells us to do them. Folks, this is the point where you and I are brought to the cliff's edge of faith. And now we're told to simply take the next step. Take the next step. A step that surrenders back our attitude, our responses, and our temperaments into the more capable hands of God. It's there, folks. It's there and there alone where real truth will lie. And it's there and there alone where right results then can take place. Who knows what God wants to do in those circumstances? What He intends for those wretched people who have mistreated you or your loved ones? Yes, God might have retribution in mind for them. And of course, that's what we have in mind. But God might have retribution in mind. Romans 12 tells us, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourself, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. So then, yes, God might have retribution in mind for those who mistreat you. But He also may instead intend to use your suffering as a means of turning that lost one to Himself as they observe your responses. That, as He tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He says that can take place in a marriage. In a marriage that is filled with strife. Listen to these words. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're told, For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. One of them becomes a believer. The other one observes their responses, and they turn God often has plans, folks, that you and I don't know about. And we need to give place to His plans, no matter how difficult it is for us. But again, none of the godly attributes, 
none of the godly responses and temperaments mentioned here will come easy. We're so driven by our emotions. And those emotions are fueled by the foundational sin that first tempted Adam and Eve there in the garden. That foundational sin is pride. Pride. That driving force within each of us that lays claim to our right, to ourself. It's that driving force that tells us that we can do it all by ourselves. It's that driving force within us that demands that no one be allowed to mistreat us or to cheat us or to get away with anything. It's that driving force that demands that we exact our own form of vengeance. Folks, pride, and it's best described as being our claim to our right to ourself. And that's been the downfall of every man and woman that's born on the earth. But it does have a remedy. It does have a remedy. And it's that remedy that I've spoken so often about from this pulpit. It is simple surrender. Surrender. Surrender that leads us to repentance and faith. It's repentance that brings about a humble and contrite heart. It's a surrender that humbly declares back to God, yours really is a better way than mine. My question for you and me as we consider these words of Jesus is, are we content, listen, are we content with our own form of insanity? That of doing the same exact thing over and over again, each time expecting a different result, which never comes, which never comes. Or are we ready for a difference? Folks, I'm ready for a difference. I don't like the way I act most of the time. So I'm ready for a difference. And I know that you are also. But how, do, how are we to begin? We begin by being intentional with our responses, with our attitudes and with our temperaments. And why must we be intentional? Why must you be intentional? It's because if we are not intentional, then our old way, our old natural response jumps out and leads the way. And it wins out. We have to intentionally choose to go against the grain of our natural responses. To deny our pride. To deny our claim to our right to ourself. And to intentionally humble our pride into the more capable hands of God. And we have to intentionally do that over and over and over and over again until that humility becomes our normal response, our normal attitude. Folks, we know that God really can do things so much better than we can do them. He knows so much more about the situations that are involved with those circumstances. And He knows what He wants to accomplish in each person's life. And he knows when to exact vengeance, and he will do that. And he also knows when to show mercy. So what if someone gets away with something? So what if we let someone cheat us? Cannot God restore our losses? Cannot God bind up a broken heart? Folks, you and I are children of the King. Our provision comes from His hand. We must not give in to the temptation to make our own provision, whether it be for vengeance or it be for some other purpose. God's way will always be the better way. Now, we'll speak about this some more next. 
but I'll need to close now. Listen carefully to these words. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse. Pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer him the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask for them back. 